Floating it down the sideline for Anderson with a one-handed grab. Here comes LaMelo Ball with his hair on fire. Hamilton and Slavin, who connected on the goal. Hamilton with it again. Here is one. He scores! The series is over! Jacob Slavin sending the Hurricanes into the second round. Going deep, McCaffrey! And he makes an unbelievable catch, and he walks in! Gordon Hayward, one man to beat! Punches oh. it on top of Fox! Hump diddly deep! New episode of the Queen City Collective, everybody. We're back to talk some Hornets on this Monday episode on the first half of things. And I got a very special guest, Mr. Rod Boone. I'm currently covering the Hornets for sportsillustrated.com at allhornets.com. Previously, of a bunch of other things, this dude's been around the Hornets for a long time, and I'm, I'm super excited to have him. Rod, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Alan? Man, it's been... Ooh, it's been a long week. Some stuff I might actually talk with you post-recording about, not not basketball, <laughs> not basketball related. You know, COVID has put some strain on everybody, to say the least, as I, I'm sure you know. I actually kind of wanted to, to start here, man. I know you're covering, you know, the Hornets for SI now. Um, you were doing the high vibes for a little bit. What What's things been like for you the past year or so? Because from what I remember, I think COVID affected you and, and you know, the sports writing way a little bit. What, what's your path and, you know, your your path with SI right now? How are things? Uh, that's good, man. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy year. Um, like most people, I got affected by COVID. Um, I lost my job with The Athletic. I was amongst, uh, you know, I think it was about 70 plus employees laid off um, in a wave. So it was kind of disappointing, obviously, but um, was able to still um, find a way to kill, cover the team through Substack initially and then uh, through SI.com of uh, all Hornets. So just happy to be a part of their family and happy to be able to have a place to share my work with the masses because uh, I just know the Hornets are a really hot team right now. Yeah, and it's it's really only become that way over the past year. You know, I started this podcast right before LaMelo came on and not just to see, you know, my growth a little bit, but to see everybody within the Charlotte community's growth since that dude has come along. It has been kind of crazy, and I think it's to the benefit of a lot of people that deserve more coverage like yourself. And we can start right there with LaMelo Ball. I told you we'd spend just a tad bit of time on this and for everybody else listening. But the GQ article that came out the other day, uh, most of the quotes they got clipped from it were, were from uh, the question about bringing a championship to Charlotte, which were kind of vague, even of itself. Um, you told me pre-recording that you don't really like to get into this stuff too much. And I, I can't really blame you because anybody that knows Lamelo or has heard him speak at all knows that he's kind of brief. He's kind of to the point. Um, he says what he wants to say and, and not much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Right. So I, and I think because of that, these comments are getting taken a little bit out of proportion. Would you say the same, Rod? I would agree because, uh, you know, he doesn't speak a whole lot and especially not nationally. Um, right. So when he does speak, um, you know, he does give a couple of quotes to people. Um, they're kind of taking and run with it because, you know, right now the, the ball family is still a family that people um, want to read about. You know, he still has the TMZ sports of the world. are still trying to follow him around, write about um, Leangelo and, and things of that nature. So I think it's one of those things where it's, you can take it probably a little bit out of context, Remember, he's also a young kid. He's, he's just <laughs> first, yeah. you know, pretty much 19 years old, man. I mean, he still has the whole world, at, you know, at his disposal, per se. And he's not even of legal drinking age right about now. You know what I mean? So you got to think about it that way. Understand that 
he may say a few things that um, he may come back later and say, you know what, well, maybe I didn't quite mean it that way or maybe it came across a different way. But, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a, a different kind of dude in a good way, man. He's not a bad kid at all. So I wouldn't look too much at stuff that he's saying not to GQ. I think you just take it for what it is. Right. And I th- that what you said right there, take it for what it is. I think you have to do that with most of the things he says. I mean, he had to clear up a comment he had about school the other day about not going to school, which I don't I don't really think was necessary. I mean, school, especially in today's day and age, has very noticeably become not for everyone, especially for a guy like that who's been at stardom for 15 or since he was 15. Excuse me. Um, I want to put I want to read this quote off just for anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Tyler R. Times did this article for GQ. Um, talking about bringing the championship to Charlotte, LaMelo says that's definitely the plan, man. I want to be here for a long time. I love the game. I love being around it. This is what I wanted to do with my life. And that quote is just a perfect example of I'm going to answer your question without answering your question, just like most athletes, just like most players do. Um, And that's 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 really it. I agree. Yeah. I mean, really, that's his goal. I mean, basically, he said to us a couple of times. Now, if you aren't playing with championship, then, then what are you doing? Like, why right. are you even out here? So that's kind of his pedigree is kind of the way he was raised. And if you're a Hornets fan, it actually makes you, I guess, exciting to hear that because you can tell that they're getting questions about, oh, well, w- will he be bigger than Charlotte? Will he actually try to leave when it's time for him to become a right. free agent one day? And he's already trying to shut it down a little bit saying, like, I like it here. Like, just let me kind of do what I do first. I could bring California to here if I really want to and make it vibe here for him. So I wouldn't get too um, caught up in things like that. But at the same time, it's what he's previously said before. Where he wants championship is all is what he wants to bring here to Charlotte. If he doesn't bring a championship here to him, it's a failure. So a guy like that, you want him on your team because he knows what it's all about. Right. You were talking about him being in the spotlight and just kind of knowing how to deal with these interview questions. And that kind of leads me into speaking of spotlight, Leangelo Ball, who was the summer league darling throughout all of the Las Vegas summer league. Uh, um, summer league coach Judge Gately got some booze when he would, you know, not put Leangelo in or take him out, whichever, whichever the case is. And I want to use Leangelo to talk about the final roster as far as roster spots and looking at you can have 17, including the two two way contracts, which are uh, already filled up by Kubalka and Scotty Lewis, if I'm not mistaken. And the 15, other than that, looking at the guys, I'm, I'm talking probably or guaranteed, in my opinion, you got LaMelo, Terry Rozier, Miles, Mason Plumley, excuse me, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Ish Smith, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre Jr., Jalen McDaniels, James Booknight, Kai Jones, Cody Martin, and JT Thor. That's, that's 13 folks right there. So including the two two-way contracts you already have, you're looking at two more roster spots, with about four guys on the bubble, in my opinion, with a window who they just traded for, which that's why, and we can, we can get into this. I feel like a is almost guaranteed just because they, they traded for him already. And if you want to say that, then you got one final roster spot remaining between three guys. Likely if people think the, the Leangelo competition is, is, you know, played out as maybe it is inside the Hornets organization, um, and for that final spot, you got Vernon Carey Jr., Nick Richards, and Leangelo Ball. And with the, the center problems, um, you don't really have a true backup center unless, you know, P.J. Washington is going to get minutes there. But that in itself makes me think they have to keep one of Vernon Carey Jr. and Nick Richards. And that just kind of leaves Leangelo Ball missing out. Absolutely. I mean, you basically broke it down <laughs> better than I could. I mean, for the most part, it's tough to find a spot for him right now. I understand that you know, the fans may want to see him. Uh, be a part of the main roster, but you broke it down yourself. If you 
go through all those guys. Um, you know, maybe Wes is a guy who could be waived before you know season mm-hmm. starts. But even then, I mean, you mentioned Nick Richards and Vernon Carey Jr. They like both of those guys. If they get rid of one of those two after just drafting them in the second round pick just a year or so previously, that's something the Hornets haven't really done because it kind of shows that they haven't picked the play they want. As you've seen the last really three or four drafts since Mitch Kupchak has been here, they've hit on pretty much all their draft picks. Um, you can argue about whether they developed the way they want them to, but for the most part, especially second round picks have pretty much panned out. So I can't see Nick Richards or Vernon Carey just being waived unless they just have absolutely just really bad right. training camps and just don't just don't don't show what they're supposed to show out there. So with that being the case, it's a tough spot to find. It's tough to find a spot for Lanzlo right now. So it may be one of those things where maybe you bring him you bring him on exhibit, excuse me, exhibit 10 contract if I can get it out. It's hard to get out. The exhibit 10 <laughs> contract is uh, a possibility because it guarantees him a spot to come to training camp, but it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to see him right now where he can fit on the main roster. I agree with you. Yeah, and, and Wes Wundu is, guy that, is a guy that's just kind of strangely in, in the mix right now. I know I touched on him just a second ago, but it, they got him back and, you know, when some of these details came out about Devontae Graham and played under Van Gundy, who he said in his media availability the other day was a big stickler about defense. And I think he provides a little bit more there as far as um, depth and perimeter defending than maybe some people are giving him credit for. Um, I, I like his fit, especially as a, you know, back of the pine ro- rotation piece. So I don't I don't really see him um, finding his way out of the roster. You're right. They could wave him without really too much difficulty. But Vernon Carey Jr. defensively, that that's where I get kind of worried about this guy. Um, offensively, I think he could probably already be a plus if you put him on, the, you know, the, the first team NBA floor right now, especially in, you know, getting involved in the screen and roll game. I think you saw some some flashes in the summer league of what he can do off the elbow and passing the ball to cutters and things like that. But Nick Richards, man, I mean, they moved up in the draft to get this guy. And now things are just kind of looking bleak. I mean, he, he had some, I don't want to say flashes. He had some decent moments in the summer league, but nothing that made me say, okay, they got to give this guy a roster spot. I agree. No, he showed some flashes there. You know, he's a little more aggressive. He showed some rim protection. Uh, he tried to go up and dunk a couple of pa- uh, balls that, you know, um, um, you know, maybe previously he wouldn't have finished. But you're right. Um, he's one of those guys that's going to be on, on the fringe, on the bubble. Um, him and Vernon Carey Jr. Because even though you're second round pick, you still aren't guaranteed a spot per se. But if you show enough in your development that they figure that maybe another year or, or, or so, you can show that maybe you could be a contributor at the end of the day. They still will keep them around, but I agree, man. Uh, with this team right now, there's definitely some fringe roster spots, but to make it seem like, you know, Jello is going to be one of those guys who can be amongst that 17 mix you've been talking about here, it's still a question mark. You know, it might come down to something where um, unless he gets a, a deal from another team, maybe he goes to Greensboro or something and is able to kind of play there for a little bit and kind of find his way back to maybe a, a, a roster, uh, maybe if not the Hornets, somebody else. So it's a possibility. He showed enough to me to at least warrant that. But mm-hmm. again, it depends on what the Hornets are thinking because they have enough players in as we speak with what he had at the draft and things of that nature um, in the offseason. 
Yeah, and I want to give some credit to Jello here. I do think one of the things that is just going to make this even harder on the Hornets is losing two shooters um, like they did in Malik Monk and Devontae Graham. You know, they're, they're really kind of lacking there now once you look at the construction of the roster as a whole. And at the very least, Leandro Ball gives you likely a 34-plus percent three-point shooter, which is something like I, I just mentioned you're just lacking right now. It's That was one of my biggest mishaps with, okay, you're, you're losing both these guys. And and now off the bench, the shooting seems to be a little, a little bit of a struggle. And going back to, to Vernon Carey and Nick Richards a little bit, just to kind of get the long-term picture into, into effect here. They just got Mason Plumley, traded up for him, um, not traded up for him, traded uh, up and ended up getting him um, with the, the trade up. A little bit confusing there. I think they moved from 56, uh, $8 million. Right, 57. I nearly had 56 and 57. But regardless, still feels like kind of a stopgap answer. And if tying this back in with Leangelo, if you pick Leangelo over either of those two guys that you drafted only a year ago, then your long-term center outlook gets even bleaker because now you have one less young guy. Um, you're expecting your draft picks to only get higher as these years go on with Lamelo Ball, making it less likely you're going to fill your needs there in the draft. You got extensions coming up with with Rozier, who that's a whole conversation with the in and of itself we can have later, and Miles Bridges and and all these things. I just hate to see these guys give up on a center uh, that they both drafted that they drafted both a year ago um, when they don't still to this day have their long term answer there. I agree. That's what I was saying. It's really hard when you, you know, break things down like that um, for a team that yeah. made, they made a mistake just a year or so ago. And think about it. You also have to factor in the fact that these guys, Nick Richards and Vernon Carey Jr. didn't have a lot of time to develop, whereas normally um, pre-pandemic, they would have time for a summer league. You know, this is their first summer league, this, you know, this, mm-hmm. this past you know, couple of weeks. Um, they also didn't have a chance to play in the G League, other than G League bubble. So you factor that in, they're not as far along as maybe you would like him to be. So if you're going to go into training camp in October and say, we're going to give him a spot, uh, we're going to give Jello a spot over these guys. I'm not sure you justify that because you still want to develop these players and see at worst, maybe you can include them in a deal or something along the way to maybe bring something else back um, down the line. Yeah. And I want to kind of move that. We can move on to the, the next topic with that said, you know, in terms of what this team's ceiling could be, um, I was listening to, I was rewatching JB's media availability and, and what you just talked about, you know, not having the summer league last year, much less, you know, they basically went right from the end of the finals in the bubble with the Heat and the Lakers and uh, such a short turnaround into starting the next season. And JB's talked about that a lot. So have a lot of other NBA coaches, but he said last year to start the off season, you know, they just felt a little disconnected and for all the circumstances they had, that's reasonable, but for them to be so unconnected, as he said, in the off season and before these injuries, um, be a top four, top five team in the East. It makes you feel pretty good about what they have and maybe team, or maybe fans especially are underrating what this team can be. This coming year, we have the full schedule release coming Friday at 3 p.m., which I'm excited for specifically to see how many national TV games uh, this, this team gets. But that's, that's just kind of a sidebar. Um, do you feel that this team got better um, or, or that they got worse in any fashion or just the general ceiling about what this team can do next season? I think they got better, but the one caveat, as they say, or caveat, depending on how, much, how you want to describe it, is they got younger, too. All right. So they filled some depth issues, which was a problem last year. You mentioned they were um, fourth or fifth, which is um, which is the high watermark for the, for, the, for the Hornets last year. And they were um, just as good as the Knicks, just as good as the Hawks at one point. But then once 
um, LaMelo got hurt. And then once Gordon Hayward got hurt, it just couldn't sustain that because two of the high-power players, starters, essentially got knocked out for a long period of time. Um, so they just kind of started wearing down because you had other players step up in rotation. They weren't able to fulfill those roles in the same vein. So with that being the case, uh, I think they got better, but you're losing a couple of veteran guys in Bismack Biyombo and Cody Zeller, and you're bringing a veteran guy in Mason Plumley. But behind them, you have young guys and Kai Jones. You just talked about, you know, potentially Nick Richards or Vernon Carey Jr. So I like what they've done. Uh, you brought in Ish Smith. You brought in Kelly Oubre Jr., two guys who do have playoff experience. So like what they've done there just depends on how they all mess together because um, that's going to be the main thing is, do, does this team have enough experience to sustain themselves when they get to the postseason to be able to get to that next level? Right. And that's one thing you can say is that they did try to, to bring vets in to replace the ones they lost, at least in some form. I think Ish Smith really – I'm a little bit more excited about him now than maybe I was when I first saw it after just losing, you know, Devontae Graham. I, I was worried about the playmaking in the backcourt, specifically off the bench, because I thought Devontae – I mentioned this in a couple other episodes, but I thought Devontae playing beside James Booknight really relieved a lot of his stressors of things that he's not great at as far as creation, which – shown us in the summer league he's, he's got more of than maybe what we originally thought he had coming out of UConn in terms of playmaking but um you know I I'm just I'm scared I I'm scared for for a lot of rotational uh reasons I know JB is kind of funky in the way he he runs his rotations sometimes um for for whatever reason sometimes we don't know you know starting Bismack over Cody whatever the case is but uh there's a lot of things that concern me here um some of the swing players that because I'm with you by the way I think that they got marginally better maybe not a lot especially considering how many other teams in the East got better. But you know, looking at some swing players like Kelly Oubre Jr., if he gets it quickly and is as big of a threat in transition as we maybe think he's going to be, then um, his production could, could go up from where he's been. Mason Plumley, um, big swing guy, because the, the center position, as we both talked about throughout this whole episode now, is just a concern, not just offensively, but defensively, but at least offensively, Mason, Mason Plumley, uh, you think moves the, the needle for you a little bit. Um, JB talked about his ability off the elbow, you know, the top of the key as a passer, which, you know, that, that's okay. It's nothing special. It's, it's nice to have, especially with how many cutters and things like that the Hornets have, but you feel like there are any guys that could really move the needle in a major direction if they have a, a season we're not anticipating. Well, I think one of them is Kai Jones. I think he's one of those X factors who we're not sure what they're going to get out of just yet, but whatever they do get, boy, oh boy, like it's going to be a bonus because not only is he just um, very exuberant with his youthful energy out there, but the guy has some serious athleticism. He can go out there and be a high flyer. So with the mellow ball on him on a potential fast break, it could be something that could be special, that could be very special for the Hornets. So you want them to be able to figure out you know, how to, how to just, I guess, create some things um, off the bench. Because to me, the second unit will be very important because the oh, yeah. starters will be fine. Uh, you know, you mentioned LaMelo, obviously, Terry Rozier, you got Gordon Haywood, Miles Bridges, Mason Plumley. But then when you come with the second unit, you know, you're going to have Ish Smith, you're going to have um, James Booknight, you're going to have, um, you know, Kelly Oubre Jr. You know, you're going to have maybe Kai Jones. It all depends on just how deep, JB wants to go. So right. I, I, like you said, it just, I guess it depends on just where they find that next level player 
But to me, Kai Jones is somebody to watch out for because his summer league play, you can see how raw he is. And he's going to make mistakes out there. Might embarrass himself a couple of times on just by things that he probably uh, may want to be doing a little bit too much. But you can see the talent. And I think that he may be one of those players you look back on next year, this time of year ago, from year, from year from now and say, you know what, man, that guy was better than I thought he would be. And he actually had a good year for Hornets and actually led them to probably greater heights than I thought they would actually go to. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have pegged him as a, you know, year from now, holy crap, how did he fall all the way to 19? Um, but right. And, and, but that was just kind of one of the things that was, at least in my part, was a given with him is you're taking a big swing. But with the player development, this this program has shown you mentioned only barely having the G League bubble last year and not being able to play in Greensboro much. I mean, that that was really underrated as far as bad things that that went wrong for this organization last year. It, it's proven. What's the best way to say this? Uh, invaluable for this team. And I, I think Borrego kind of you know, coin that as if we're going to make this work in this small market, like this has to be a critical aspect of what we do. And it has to be one of the best things we do in, in Greensboro. And Kai Jones, not only does he have all the things you just mentioned, he's got that the want, it seems. I mean, and his uh, his introductory press conferences, I mean, you were there was was the energy and the the excitement that he has in person is big as what it seemed over, you know, over a camera. Absolutely. Um, and I actually spoke to him at Summer League out in Vegas one-on-one. Uh, -on -one I'm going to actually post in, in a day or so here. Um, and he just has a different level of um, not only excitement, but just thankfulness. Like, he just wants to play basketball. You know, sometimes, um, you know, when you get to a certain level um, as a basketball player, you get a little cocky. And I don't get that kind of from him at all. It's the exact opposite. It seems like he's a humble guy coming from the Bahamas, you know, almost like um, DeAndre Ayton is for the Phoenix Suns. Like Ayton's one of those guys, you know, you talk to, he seems like he's your best friend. Like, like he, he met you a million times before you talked to him that day. So I feel like with Kai Jones, something similar. And I think that that's going to kind of rub off on, on his franchise because he just, something about him, like you can see talking to him and just um, his energy, why the Hornets actually wanted to, trade up and get him another pick in the first round because they wanted to basically to draft this guy. And I think that they found a gem and I agree with you. I think a year from now, it's going to be a lot of people saying, you know what? We thought he may be a good player, but man, like he has the potential to be really a, a stud player for the Hornets. So he did a good draft um, this, this past, uh, you know, this, this past July. Now, one, of, one more thing, we'll move on to uh, the, the unspoken man most of the times, Cody Martin, after this last thing. I want to talk about one more swing player that I think um, if his impact really grows at an exponential level next year, this team's ceiling moves from, okay, we're looking at bottom of the barrel Eastern Conference team to they could legitimately maybe finish in, you know, the area where they were running at their highest last season at, at fourth and fifth, and, that, and that's P.J. Washington. Um, since Miles Bridges has kind of come on the scene and become that guy that they liked him best at the four, it was noticeable that was where he was, you know, the most, uh, let's just say, beneficial, um, most impactful. But PJ Washington, specifically in his center minutes this season, um, I'm really interested to see what he does there. You saw last year a little bit of the rim protection come along, especially on the weak side, rotating over and helping there, but not always the greatest at times. And, you know, we've talked again so many times about the center position um, and the backup position specifically, because it's, it's pretty obvious Mason is going to start there. I wouldn't be surprised, side note, to see PJ start some games if Mason just really kind of 
isn't what they expected him to be, but PJ Washington is going to get a lot of minutes at center. And if he becomes um, a rim protector at any sort of high level, um, the switchability that he offers there as a center at the five position is really going to mean a ton to this team. I'm excited to see if he takes a Miles Bridges S jump this season. Well, he need to take that jump because, uh, you know, JB actually mentioned that um, how Miles went from a big leap from year two to year three, and they weren't sure they were going to get out of Miles in year three um, because they they seen a little bit of glimpses of him in the previous two seasons. So for PJ Washington, it's something similar. It's go time for him this year. Um, you know, he had an up and down year this past year, um, and the Hornets really know, uh, the coaching staff especially knows that when PJ plays well, they're hard to beat. Like when he's able to go out there and hit his three pointers and stretch the defense and bring the five man out from behind the uh, underneath the basket and give LaMelo and Terry and Miles, everybody else a little more room to operate uh, going to the basket, then it makes life easy, easier for everybody. So for PJ, it's really important for him to go out there this year and put forth um, his best season so far because the Hornets need it from him. Because again, second unit. They're going to have somebody go out there and be one of their lead dogs, um, you know, and he's going to be one of those people because if he's able to help out offensively and maybe bounce that position when they want to go to a little bit more of a small ball look, then that'll be good for the team because they have to be able to be more versatile. And PJ's one of those, those guys they want to be able to make, uh, you know, have out there on the floor play a four and five if possible. Yeah. And last thing before we, we move on to our, our next segment here, I want to talk about, uh, end of season realistic expectations. I, a lot of people are saying play in. I think this team is is good enough um, because I feel like some teams in the East are going to take a step off, uh, maybe more than than some expect. But um, I feel like playoffs are a must if they don't make the playoffs this year. I'm gonna be a little. I don't want to say concerned because at the end of the day, you still have Lamelo Ball, and at least in that case, you probably have a lot another lottery pick that that Kupchak has shown uh, good in and doing well on. Um, but do you see this team having any chance of making it past the first round? Because I feel like that's just kind of where we're at right now. Uh, it depends. They have to have a lot of things kind of go their way. And um, is it a possibility? Yes. Um, but it's probably a little bit unlikely because they have to have a run like the Hawks did. The, I mean, yeah. the Hawks, think about it. They they had a few guys with playoff experience, but for the most part, they hadn't been there before. Trey Young is his first time getting there, and he act like he was a veteran getting to the conference finals. You know what I mean? So – for the Hornets to do something similar, you have to kind of A, just get lucky, and B, be, stay healthy. Because, as we, as again, when we saw when they were healthy last year, they were one of those top four or five teams in the, in the East. So it's possible they have a lot of things go well for them, including the younger guys who came on board, able to kind of hold their, their weight and, and, and control themselves in the clutch because it's one thing to be able to do it in a regular season. But as the Hornets found out themselves last year against the Pacers in a play-on game, it's a whole different level come playoff time. And if you aren't ready for it, you get your, you know, your hat handed to you. So is it possible? Yes. Um, but they have to have a lot of things go in their favor for it to happen. I will, I will say in the very least, um, the Hornets, if they do make it back to the playoffs, whether it's to play in or just straight out making it in, I will say this, the smack and a lot of those guys got against the Pacers last year um, will probably make them feel a little – you know, let, let's do this. We're, we're ready. This isn't the same kind of nerves we had last year. Sure, they'd have, they'd have some new additions, but I feel overall they'd feel pretty good about, about their chances and their confidence. So let's, let's move to Cody Martin, a guy, and I guess we could start with this. There was a lot of people I saw on Twitter who, um, before Caleb had gotten uh, waived, which I, I thought was kind of a no-brainer, 
Cody kind of got grouped in into that too, specifically when with people talking about, okay, how does Jello make the roster? Cody Martin was one of those names some people would kind of throw out. But I think if you were throwing Cody Martin's name out, you really didn't watch this team too much last year, only because, I mean, to, to put it simply, he's the team's what second or third best perimeter defender, like at worst. At worst, um, if not at times, maybe their number one defender, to be honest with you, right. because his coaching staff trusts him that much. They put him out there as a starter for that reason. Um, so the thing with Cody is his offense has yet to catch up to his defense. So if he's able to yeah. kind of have both out there, he'd be a great two-way player. But they feel like he can play two-way anyway, um, you know, be a 3 and D type of guy, but he has to be able to develop his shot. But I agree with you. A lot of times – Sometimes when you see stuff on social media, it's people who aren't really fans. It's people who are fans of a player or a concept or a uniform or something right. like that. But if you're a real Hornets fan, even though you, quote unquote, may like Jello, um, to put him in there over Cody Martin, as you said, is not something that the average person I don't think who knows about the team would say because at the end of the day the Hornets you can put as much offense out there as you want to okay and let's say Jello's offense is better than Cody Martin's offense okay let's just go ahead and just just say that's what it is well the Hornets still need somebody to go out there and stop people at times because as we saw they had leaky defense and when they got guys got to the rim they were able to kind of just go up there and just have their way so the first thing to be able to do is stop guys on the perimeter so cody martin helps you out in that regard does it mean he's going to go out there and start this year or get 30 minutes or 25 minutes a game no but the coaching staff may say this guy is hot he scored 10 points in the last five minutes cody you in the game right now stop him for me so i agree with you to say he's not going to be a part of his team is not making sense because again Second round draft pick. They don't just get rid of those guys. He's somebody the coaching staff really values. So I agree with you about Cody Martin. He's a player that the team and staff love. And if maybe you're in the periphery and not a real Hornets fan, you probably aren't very aware of that. Yeah, a couple of interesting. I was I was scrolling through cleaning the glass this morning and prep for this, and just a couple of things that I want to want to say to you that I, I thought you might also like. Cody spent most of his time at small forward. We know he's a wing type. Spent thirty seven percent of his minutes at shooting guard, um, but was much better efficiently in terms of advanced analytics at small forward than he was in his time spent at shooting guard. Um, this stat really didn't even come close to, uh, to any other player in, in the same position in the same um, range. Playing at the small four position, um, opposing teams with Cody Martin on the floor, turn the ball over at a 16.6% clip, which is 94th percentile. Um, there, there wasn't <laughs> there was not another player that came anywhere close to that in terms of being on the wing. I mean, um, shooting guard that – you know, it kind of went down a little bit. I feel like um, one of the big reasons for that is you see some of his inefficiencies athletically when he plays against guys that are maybe a little bit quicker with the ball than he is getting off the dribble. That is just kind of one of his weaknesses. But I don't want to call Cody Martin this team's Patrick Beverly, despite all his recent trade stuff. But that's just what this guy kind of is. I mean, he's their dog who go out there and guard the best player despite turning the ball over on offense just one play before. Um, shot 27% from three his rookie year, 29% last year, which is, I mean, God awful. But 
he plays with so many good shooters now and a guy like Gordon Hayward, who has just continuously gotten better with his shot throughout his career, that another guy, his third year, we were just mentioning about PJ Washington could really take a big jump. I agree. I mean, you know, when you look at all the things you said about him, that, that's one of the, the, the best things about Cody Martin is the fact that he essentially is a dog out there. And sometimes on teams, you need that player. You don't need every guy to go out there and score 30 points. I mean, I thought, I think Dust Gately, the you know, assistant coach for the Hornets, who's coaching some league team, said it best himself a couple of times. Like, this team has guys who can go out there and get you 30. They have, what, five guys who did it last year or more? So they want guys who want to essentially keep the ball moving or essentially play your role. When they need you to stop somebody, stop somebody. They need you to get a rebound, rebound. They need you to go out there and keep the ball moving, keep the ball moving. Like, that's what – if you're going to make this team, you need people like Cody Martin. So – I think, again, uh, he probably will even work even harder now because his brother is gone. And he knows that um, his brother didn't, didn't do anything wrong, per se, like to like get weighed. He just, right. it's a way of business. It's like, it happens. They, they go out there and they find somebody they think maybe a little bit better than you. So it's now your job to go out there and say, you know what? Okay, you screwed up. I'm going to show you that this guy's not better than me. I'm better than this guy and this guy. So I don't just think that, you know, Cody won't do the same thing. Um, so to me, this is a big year for him as well because you're going to need him to go out there and be a big part of his team to stop some players when situation will cause for it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, what you just said there at the end about that competition even because we've seen this guy thrives in that competition and, and you know, putting, putting his chest into the team's best score at the time during the game and really taking pride in doing his best. And, and you're totally right. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. The, not just the competition as far as inside of the building, but he has to have seen all this stuff about Leangelo. I mean, all these guys probably have, and he's has to be, you know, they just guaranteed his contract not too long ago. And uh, for the people that didn't know, and they were never going to guarantee his contract and then just wave him that that's, that's just not how that works is it was never going to happen. But um, moving on to, to Leandro's brother, LaMelo, who we've touched on just a little bit and the playmaking I mentioned with Devonte Graham and LaMelo ball. I've talked about this um, maybe more than I should have on this podcast about the playmaking, but I just feel like it hasn't been talked about quite enough. Devonte was one of the smartest players on this team, maybe not the best passing ability behind LaMelo ball, but as far as basketball IQ, um, even on the defensive end, I mean, Devontae Graham was really special, his ability to run the pick and roll. I think you're only going to see more of that now that he has freaking Zion Williamson to do it with, that he's going to have a lot of fun playing on there, and, I, and I'm really happy for him. But in terms of playmaking, I mean, losing Monk, too, who was a much better passer than some gave him credit for, I think Ish can grow as a passer, especially playing with LaMelo. I mean, that some of that drive and kick stuff may only become more prominent with the kind of pace this team is playing with, but now you might be relying on book night way more to, to make creation off the pine or having to stagger minutes to make sure Gordon Hayward's in some of your reserve lineup. So you have a guy that can, can run live ball screens and things like that. How do you feel about the playmaking in terms of, is, is it lacking? Um, does a guy like Kelly Oubre really help them too much? And are they just betting on LaMelo making this massive playmaking jump that they can't necessarily bet on for a guy that, as you said earlier, isn't even 20 years old yet. I mean, he's only going to his second year in the league. I think the opponents, from their perspective, they think they have enough playmaking because, okay, you, you, you say LaMelo, he's one, but you also don't want to forget Terry Rozier can play point guard. And he'll let you know several times that's the case because he feels like people think all he can do is just shoot. But he came into the game as a point guard. That's what he feels is one of his strong suits as well. 
then you want to throw you mentioned Ish Smith in there, okay? Um, and then don't forget about Gordon Haywood. I mean, he pretty much is a playmaker. He's a point right. forward for the most part. And I know he didn't play um, part of the end of the season last year, toward the end of the season, and didn't play in the playoffs. So you kind of maybe forget about him a little bit. But he's a playmaker. So that's three guys right there. Four of you include Ish Smith. Five Miles Bridges. He's also a playmaker. Not not conventionally what you may think from top of the key point guard stuff, but he's has enough ability to be able to get to the basket and drive and kick for his teammates because guys are skids going to dunk on their, on their head. So when you kind of converse to the rim with Miles going there, he's a playmaker as well. So you throw him in there. Then they um, believe also Mason Plumlee can make plays from the five. Again, doesn't mean he's going to be a point guard. No, but you give him the ball on top of the key and maybe run guys around them. He can make plays as well. So I think they feel they're good from that perspective. Do they want to get better like anybody else? I'm sure they do, but they have enough playmakers. It's going to be more about just can they execute the offense the way they want to and do they have enough shooters to be able to hit down open shots from the perimeter if guys are leaving their man to double team LaMelo or anybody else. Yeah, shooting was another thing I was definitely going to touch on because, again, in losing Devontae, in losing Malik, you lose those thing, that thing too, as well as the playmaking. And Terry Rozier is one that gets lost in that mix a little bit. I think we've seen so much of him at uh, at shooting guard, that especially recently with LaMelo Ball in the lineup. Um, that part of his game gets lost a little bit. Definitely not the the best of creators, in my opinion. He can get tunnel vision sometimes to the rim, which which kind of worries me. Um, but he's only going to grow. I mean, he's coming off the best season of his career. It's, it's hard to discount that guy and what he can do as a ball handler for sure. As far as LaMelo, JB has said he's been in Charlotte virtually the entire summer. I mean, I know he was out in, in Vegas for the summer league, but for a guy that won the rookie of the year and had the kind of production he did with virtually no offseason, very little install time as far as learning the playbook, um, is it is it crazy to think that LaMelo could have a massive second year jump with with all this time in the offseason and, and time in Charlotte that he's had? Miss Kupchak mentioned that the gym is just, I think, buzzing is, is what he said, um, that there's tons of guys there, eight to 12 guys in and out every week. Uh, what do you think about his second year jump? Is it is it real or are we looking for more of a sophomore slump? I think he could have a massive jump because uh, if you look at, as you said, he didn't really have the time to prepare. Um, when he came in here, he kind of was just doing a little bit off the cuff and he also wasn't starting at first. So when you're not starting, um, you come off the bench and you're doing these different things, people aren't scouting the way they would if you're a starter and you're playing, you know, the bulk of the minutes. So it's going to be imperative for him to go out there this year and show that not only can he improve, but he has different things in this game that maybe you didn't see last year. And I think the Hornets um, develop players well enough to uh, make sure that he's doing that because LaMelo enjoys having the ball in his hands. Like he wants to be in the gym. He's a gym rat. So from the Hornets' perspective, if he can go out there and, um, you know, make sure that he's hitting his three-point shots even better than he did as a rookie, mm-hmm. that will also help him out there. So I think he's going to have a, a bounce, you know, a pretty much a step up this year coming up. It just depends on what level of step you're talking about. Um, is it a humongous leap or just a, a, a subtle leap where you see – Subtle growth, but I think it's going to be more of the, of the former man. I think he's going to have a, another big year because the Hornets, from my perspective, are one of the best teams developing young talent in the league. If you look at some of the players who had their best years under um, this coaching staff, go back to even Kimba Walker. His one year on James, JB and the coaching staff, 
he had pretty much a career year when they're dropping mm-hmm. 50 and stuff like that against Jimmy Butler and whatnot. All NBA third teamer, yeah. Exactly. Um, and then you look at how they developed Devontae Graham, okay? Um, you got Terry Rozier coming in here. People will say, you know what? This guy is making too much money. Well, he's had two hell of years under James Borrego and the system that the guys have had developed, per se. So the Hornets can develop talent. So you say I had to say the mellow ball should be the same – um, vain, and I don't see why he won't take a leap from year one to year two as well. Um, and he has the want to to go out there and do just that. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. And last thing I, I'll say on Lamelo before we finish out here with some summer league thoughts. I saw, um, I think it was the game where both him and Bridges were sitting beside Borrego at the summer league. I can't remember which game it was that that they were doing that, but even some of the the cutaways to to them during the game, like during timeouts and stuff, when they were talking about Lamelo and Miles and just the organization in general, you still saw this guy rotating his wrist the same way you saw him doing on the sidelines after he got out cause to be concerned or is it more of something that could have just become a habit because he's been rehabbing it so long because you mentioned the shot just a second ago I said this before ball was even drafted that you know he was one of those guys that was in I don't want to say the the Kai Jones category for me last year but I was for sure this dude is either going to be an all-star or he's going to be somebody you forget about in in, in a couple years because he can just pass the ball um but I said, if he can get his jump shot to anywhere above 35%, this kid can be a a legitimate superstar. And, you know, he was just right under there. um, I think just 34.6, something like that. Last time I checked um, last year, beyond the arc, if he can take that jump, it's, it's, you're going to see some serious production from LaMelo this year, but do you have any kind of concern about the the risk moving forward? Well, I think like anybody else, you have to be was concerned when, when somebody gets injured, but at the same time, he's, you know, again, 19 years old. So I think he'll be okay at the end of the day. It's just more about just his comfort level. Like when you've never been injured before, as one of those major injury, he's probably hoping his wrist will feel like it did before, but maybe it never will. You know what I'm saying? It all depends on just what happened and just, just the damage that was going up in there. Um, but I'm not really worried about because the coaching staff and and you know the front office pretty much has said that he's going to be okay come training camp. If there was any kind of worries about him, anything that that um, was going to concern you going going into next season, then they pretty much would make sure it's addressed now, so that way he won't be out in the season. So I think anything else, it's my just more. I'm trying to get the feel for it, just just get back to how I was feeling before. But most you know injuries take more just a few months for you to kind of go back to, to, to being yourself, whether it's an ACL tear, broken bone, whatever. So he's probably no different. Just the fact that he's young, um, probably allowed the bone to hit the, the heel a little bit faster, but I wouldn't worry about it too much. I would just ignore anything else. Just, just make sure he doesn't take a fall on that wrist, hopefully going to next season. Yeah, we can, we can finish out here. Like I said, with some summer league thoughts, uh, finished 0 five for the Hornets. Definitely not what I was expecting, especially with, with Leangelo on the roster and, and, you know, Kai Jones and his athleticism. We saw some flashes from these guys. I mean, Kai Jones kicked it off night one with that monster. Well, what's the best way to say it? What, uh, it, it it's not a poster almost because he threw it in, but I forget what a thruck it, a throw in, <laughs> a bucket. I've heard that one before. A great way to kick uh, off the Blake summer. Blake Griffin, basically, call it Blake. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's exactly it right there. But uh, only two guys played all five games Leangelo and Kai Jones lost three by single digits. 
Um, overall record is never really what's important in these summer leagues. It's always nice to come away with, with maybe the summer league MVP or, or the championship or appear in the championship game. But um, for the most part, they competed. The last outing against Chicago was a little worrisome, but I think you saw positive signs from not just Kai Jones, JT Thor, and Scotty Lewis, but a guy like Kubolka who um, has a really nice shooting stroke and, and, you know, is on one of those two-way contracts. I'm interested to see what he can do with the full season in Greensboro this year. Just kind of general thoughts about what you noticed out in Vegas. Were you, were you out there, by the way? Yeah, I was out there. Um, and you're right. I didn't notice a few of those things. Uh, you know, with Arnaldis, he definitely was somebody who – I had my eye on because, you know, we, we've seen him before in summer league in 2019 and, and before that, but it's been a couple of years to kind of just see his development. So with them getting him a two-way contract and him being in Greensboro, at least for part of the season, um, you want to see him develop because he could be a nice little, little weapon for them. Um, his thing right now is more about defense and making sure he knows where he's doing and, and is in the right spot at the right time and make sure he's moving his feet. But he's intriguing me um, for sure. And I, I really was – impressed with um, JT Thor. Like, it, you know, we mentioned Kai Jones. Okay, he definitely, um, you know, impressed me. We talked about him and talked about James Booknight um, bouncing back, of course, um, from that bad game after he talked to MJ and went out there and dropped 23. Yep. But JT Thor, I, I, he's one of those players who every now and then, you know, a team gets a raw player and you're like, man, this, this guy, like if he just can – sharpen up this skill set here and do something there. He might be, and I think he's could be like a, 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 a gem because he's really, really long and he can shoot from the outside, which kind of caught me off guard and he's lefty. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's like a really weird yet um, complex, you know, complex situation with him in terms of his game, but I like it, man. He's, he really intrigues me too. So you know, Hornets had a really good draft. Um, I just want to be able to see those players develop and how they kind of move on from summer league. But you're right. The 0-5 record, the last game kind of throw it out. You know, they pretty much went right. in every game, just couldn't find a way to close it out. But um, I like what I saw from the Hornets. They were really kind of young and exciting. And you can see that the talent is there. Now it's just more about how can they improve themselves and be better players to go out there and help themselves in the main roster. Yeah, I'm there with you. And I, I got to ask you this before I get in, into my next point about the Summer League. Did you see a bunch of Hornets jerseys out there, surprisingly? Oh, I did see a few jerseys out there, yeah. I mean, but that's kind of what you're going to see now. You're going to see people who are LaMelo Ball fans, especially, who may even be a Hornets fan, but they like LaMelo Ball or or maybe even Kai Jones now, him being um, a player who can be exciting. So um, now I'll see you throw Gordon Hayward up in there. So I, the Hornets are definitely on the rise, man. If, if you're – most people who like the the you know the the you know the logos and uh, memorabilia and stuff like that, then this is your time now because the Hornets are going to be a hot team to kind of go out there and follow. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. And talking about Scotty Lewis, who we haven't talked too much about, Scotty Lewis is is super intriguing to me. I think the offensive game is a little bit further along than than maybe what I expected. Show some nice touches there offensively, but defensively, man, this. This dude could be serious in the league as far as perimeter defending goes. I mean, he was that same way at Florida playing beside Trey Mann. I mean, those two defending defending any backcourt in college basketball, good luck. Um, I know they didn't make it to the championship game or anything, but Florida was good with those two last year. And this this dude, Scotty Lewis, kind of – we talked about Cody Martin just a second ago. This dude kind of reminds me of Cody Martin with – with potentially more offensive firepower later down the line um, once he gets into this player development system. 
No, I agree with you. The staff likes him a lot. And JB even mentioned that he thinks his shot is a little bit further along than maybe even they expected. So mm -hmm. if he can go out there and improve himself on the offensive end and be able to finish um, at the rim and be able to hit his shot from the perimeter, then he, again, he could be one of those players who they may count on later on in the second half of the season as he got a little more seasoning in Greensboro. Because, again, being on a two-way contract, um, he can bounce back and forth. It's been a, spend X amount of time in both places. So with the Hornets being able to develop him that way, I can definitely see him being an X factor come maybe March or April if um, they need to get somebody to go out there and, and help uh, out on defense and also hit a shot or two on the, from the perimeter. But he's none of those players who, again, second round draft pick, don't think much about him, but um, he could be a major contributor, um, you know, sometime coming in the next few, few years here for sure. Yeah, and it's a lot of people, especially before, or I guess I should say after the NBA draft, you see most fan bases and pundits saying, you guys got to slow your expectations for second round picks and what they could do in the NBA. And while I totally agree with that point, for the most part, the kind of success that Kupchak has had with these second round picks and just the short regime he's had has to make, and it's to the point like you're, you're talking about, it, I'm talking about, it. it's not just fans at this point, like people around the league, it seems um know what they can do with their development in Greensboro so it's natural for me now to just kind of expect that these late round guys are gonna be at least some kind of contribution you know we're talking about guys that flamed out Grant Riller was one that you know he, he just got picked up I think he signed a two-way contract if it if, if I'm not Philadelphia, correct right with uh with the Sixers just earlier I think Shams put that out earlier this morning which congrats for him but he, he kind of had a poor summer league show and he was one of those guys that I was excited about coming out of Charleston. I thought he could finish at the rim really well and just didn't necessarily pan out, but that's also credit to this dude was barely in the G league last year, barely had any time. And here we are, he's moving on. And I definitely, I, I want to, we can finish it here. Cause I, I didn't want to completely ignore your JT Thor point. This dude is, I think he's for real. Um, the movement with the ball uh, in his hands is, impressive for someone you you mentioned his length but just his size in general like the length of his arms the size of his body um could do with a little muscle but that's a lot of guys in his type of body build coming in I mean look at Giannis his first year in the league he looks nothing like he does now that's just kind of a a natural thing um you mentioned the shooting stroke I mean everything about this this guy is just how does this work you mentioned the lefty stroke I think he was perfect from the line against uh Chicago the other night all positive signs. And if this dude is a, again, I mentioned the 35% mark from three, if this dude is a 30 to 35% three point shooter, maybe even higher with what um, he already knows how to do. I mean, he, he got drafted ahead of his Auburn teammate, Sharif Cooper for a reason, which is, is still kind of surprising to me seeing how he's playing for Atlanta. Um, but the intangibles, you see why he was taken that high. I mean, he, he's got ability to get to the rim. Seems like he can move the ball a little bit. He's athletic. We saw that in some of these dunks. I, I'm with you, man. This, this guy can be a, a serious, while development project still for this team, can definitely be a, a big-time role player. Do you do you think he may have more potential than Kai Jones, dare you say? Man, that's a great question. Um, it, it, he could because, again, he – the outside shot right now for him is kind of almost there already. So if he can just develop it a little bit more, he could be further along than Kai. And they're two different players, um, you know, different oh, yeah. lengths, different athleticisms out there. But, man, I mean, he could be really good um, from what I've seen so far. And you don't want to 
you don't want to go too crazy with summer league stuff because, um, you know, stats can be a little bit deceiving. And right. you know, somebody mentioned earlier on Twitter, uh, mentioned that Grant Riller, I said he, he played well. Like, oh, he didn't play well. Like, well, he got two-way contract. <laughs> That's good enough, right? So, I mean, right. well, well can mean different things in, in vernacular, you know what I mean? Especially in summer league play. But to see JT Thor go out there and just um, play the way he did, especially – after not having any practice time except for just one before he went to Vegas because of the whole trade with the Mason Plumbing thing couldn't go through officially until the league year commenced. Mm-hmm. You gotta be you gotta be just saying, you know what, JT Thor can be a player for this team um if things kind of go the right way for him and his development because he has the skill set there. Now it's just more about how much does he want to um get to that next level. Yeah, I'm just thinking of, and, and the reason I asked that is, is really just because I'm thinking of a, a future front court. I mean, once they move past the, the stopgap of having Mason Plumley, who honestly with, I talked about this with, with one of my, my site writers the other day, Div B, who um, he was talking about teams really need those middle ground contracts to get big time deals done. The Hornets didn't really have any. They had Rozier um, nearing 20 million. You had the Hayward Max. And then the rest of it was just kind of, LaMelo on his pretty fairly large rookie deal, which they were never going to move on from. And the rest of it is rookie scale stuff with guys that you're looking to extend here soon. So having that, I think, depending on how well he plays, uh, Mason Plumley is going to be a top candidate to be moved with maybe a Terry Rozier at midseason if they don't want to extend him, which um, I'm, I'm going to save that because, again, that's a, that's a whole nother discussion. Um, that could definitely be the case. But in the future, a front court of those two guys, the athleticism, the ability to move um, defensively is just where the where the improvement needs to come for those guys. I mean, I think you see the willingness, which is the most important thing. Um, and I guess we'll just have to see how it pans out once once they actually get their development going. Rod, I just want to say we've been going for almost an hour now. Thank you again. I said it pre-recording. I'm really glad you took the time out of your day to join me, friend. Hey, anytime. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Uh, great no discussion. problem. Appreciate it. New episode of the Queen City Collective, everybody. I think I said that on the first half of this episode, so I guess you're just going to have to hear it twice. But joining me on the back half of this episode, Brian Burns' brother, hype man, Lucci himself, Stanley McClover. Man, I'm so happy you decided to come on with me today. You were just at the game last night. How you doing, yes, man? Yes, sir. Man, I'm fantastic, man. I'm I'm wonderful. I, I feel great about what I seen last night. Uh, Of course, we want to win, but I'm good. I'm good. That's good. It's good to hear that, man. For people that don't know, I, I always try to make sure I give some kind of introduction, but I assume for most Panthers fans listening, you have an idea who the man across the screen for me right now is. Used to play for the Carolina Panthers, was drafted in 2006. We can start with last night, man. I, like I said before we started recording, you were in the crowd doing your hype man thing. Getting to my getting hype, me, baby! <laughs> getting to meet some fans. I mean, what, how did last night go? Pretty general. What you think? Man, last night was dope, man. I, I think uh, this is something new for the fans, having me out there getting everybody hype and stuff like that so they 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 getting with it man the biggest thing we just want everybody to get out their seat and let's let's just get that energy to our team that that they need man they're a young squad everything is new we ain't been in the stadium in a year so we're just trying to get that energy and that passion to the team so we can they can feed off us and keep going that's good to hear. You know, it's funny. You said you were super excited after after watching last night's game, which we're recording this on Sunday, the day before it will release on Monday for anybody listening. You know, Ravens game was just last night, lost 20 to three. I just finished rewatching the game 
um, before we get on this call, Stanley. And I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, especially because you're optimistic. I mean, offense struggled, but you're a defensive guy, played defensive end. Your brother plays mm-hmm. defensive end. What did you th- see from those boys last night that got you so excited? I mean, let, let's let's everybody let's be realistic. We in the we in the preseason. Uh, the preseason is for second string and third string players to see if they can make the team. Um, it's the depth. If we make it to the playoffs, this these are the guys that's going to be possible. That's going to make it possible. Um, so that's what the preseason is for. So let's get that understood. But when you see your ones, when you see your ones get on that field for the first time, and we come up with interceptions and sacks helmets popping off if you don't love that i don't know what else to say to you man that the little bit of piece the little piece of action that we got from our ones last night was enough for me to know going into the season we are a much better team than we was last year and we still haven't seen christian mccaffrey on the field so it's so many huge things to be excited about opposed to not being excited about Right. You just touched on a little bit, you know, that we didn't get to see those starters for very long at all. I think the offensive starters played like seven snaps. It was that uh, that mm-hmm. Matt Rule said post game. Do you think they should have played more? Did you expect to see more of Sam Darnold? I know we're probably going to see more of him against the Steelers this next week. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, that's how it's go. They, they cut down one game from the preseason. So um, the, the, the amount of players that these guys are going to play in the previous games, they weren't going to play much anyway. So the last game is the game where you pretty much get you a good first quarter in, get you a good half in maybe. So the third game is always the best game leading into the first game of the year. And trust me, man, we want to make it to the season healthy. I know we right. want wins. Everybody want wins. But guess what, family? It doesn't matter. <laughs> we can go 3-0 and in the, in the preseason. We're still going to start week one, 0-0. Zero, zero. So that's what matters, man. Just trying to keep everybody in perspective and keep us excited, man, because we have a better team, period, point blank. You talked about it just a second ago, talking about position battles. You know, that's what these preseason games are for. And I, I'm excited to see hopefully at least one half of football from our starters as they actually try and get some live reps before we get week one against New York. But, you know, as a, as a background, seven, seventh round pick yourself, going into camp, you know, those two years with Carolina, what was your mindset like? Because preseason for, for any of those, you know, back half of the roster guys is is vastly more important. You know, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. He's not even hardly touching the field. You know, you, we know what preseason means to him, but it's different for everybody. What, what's these guys' mindset like right now, especially with only one more preseason game left? Mm-hmm. Let's start Tuesday, I think. Man, this is live or die right here. And every guy of mine that's a fourth rounder or below, Hey man, this is my life. This is my life right now that I'm laying on the line. I, every play that I make, I can't miss a tackle. I can't jump off sides. I can't nothing. I have to be perfect. This is a job where you have to perform at the highest level of your ability and be damn near perfect to make that 53 man roster. And only the 22 guys that start, those are the only guys, and only out of a few of those starters, like a Christian McCaffrey or a Brian right. Burns, those guys are good. But you got another whole 18 people. You know, it's, it's a lot of people that still have to fight for a position. So when you're talking about the late round guys that's barely hanging on, this is their life, man. It's either you make this team or you go going back home. You're going back home, and then naturally, if don't nobody else call you, you got to go get a job. Like it's That's how soon it could be over, you know? So they, they look at these games like, man, this is all I got. You know, I, I got to give it everything I have. So those guys playing right now, that's what the preseason is for. 
You know, so as a fan, we if you look at it that way, you'll understand that these guys, yeah, we might didn't win, but these guys are fighting for a job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So right. don't be too hard on them because these are not our starters. These are not the guys that we are going to depend on to get wins, but they are guys that we're going to need moving forward if we want to make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, it's all about development. That's the key here in preseason. We've seen it from a lot of guys. I mean, hell, one of the linebackers they brought in and and really in a couple of areas. I mean, sticking with the defense, um, some of these safeties, that was the position group other than Jeremy Chin that I was real worried about, um, about mm-hmm. who, who that strong size safety was going to be. Um, and just figured it was Justin Burris. Didn't love what I saw from him. But now we're seeing Kenny Robinson step up. Sam mm-hmm. Franklin's been, been great, especially in run great. support. Even Sean yes, Chandler. Miles Hartsfield is coming down playing nickel corner, showing a little bit of versatility there. I mean, a lot of guys on the back, even with corner, I mean, Troy Pride's going down, and you got Keith Taylor with sticky level coverage last night. I mean, the depth is is serious. We've seen them talk about, I think they're, what it's looking like is going to be that base 4-3 under, you know, defense. Mm -hmm. What do you tell folks about that? What what is this personnel bringing? What is that going to bring to this defense? Well, our personnel, man, it gives us the ability to run any front we want. Um, we can disguise. We can make you feel like we're running 4-3 and, and hit you with a 3-4 immediately. It's, we have the players and we have the personnel to get it done. Um, we have the coach to get it done. And I think uh, Phil has been very aggressive this year. He's showing it in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Everybody see it. He's blitzing. He's coming. He's he's uh he's not dropping Brian as much, which I love. That's why I think the addition of Hassan, Hassan Reddick was great. Perfect. You know, um, it, it, it goes hand in hand, man. Hassan can drop and he can rush that passer. And we and we keep Brian Burns rushing that passer. And, you know, he drop every now and then because he does have the ability to do it. But, um, yeah, man, the personnel just – our defense is the most exciting thing because we all know defense wins championships, and that's what we need. If they can't score, they can't win, baby, at the end of the day. If we right. can score and they can't score, we win. So right. I really focus on defense and uh the depth is there, like we said, bro. I mean, um, the safety play is there. I love Sam Frank, I love him. You know, it's we 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 got them, bro. We got the plugs to put in, and I love our D tackles as well. I want to touch on yep. that too. That was a major, major upgrade. Major. Major, yeah. I, I was just about to get to those guys. I really just wanted to round out the whole defense. I mean, I was Preseason, I knew was going to be a big measuring stick for these guys. Linebacker was another one that I love. Jermaine Carter, Frankie, I know he, Frankie. <laughs> Frankie, right? That's right. I know you were screaming his name quite often. Last man, night. I love Frankie. Man, that's a playmaker. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, what he, our defense is built off, man. Playmakers. Right, right. It's, and it's so it. it's so refreshing, man. Especially fifty two last year. I mean, we know the story to hear why I really right. don't even like saying his name. I mean, too we much, all say fifty two, bro. That, that's his right. that's his name over in Panther Nation, bro. It's number fifty two, bro. Right, and you know, with Shaq and Jermaine listed on this unofficial depth chart as as two of the, uh, I think Shaq would go out there as the will backer with with Jermaine as the mic, which he said on Twitter before, like. That, that's where I'd like to be. You don't like having to split out yeah, there. he's a banger, man. Jermaine right. want to bang. He want to bang. He want to hit somebody. Love Jermaine Carter, man. I love our linebacker core with the addition of Denzel Perryman. Come on, bro. Yes. Come on, that's bro. That's what I was about to say. Denzel backing I'll up. And then... front seven. Oh, There's nothing to be sad about in the preseason. We're, I mean, just, hey, these guys yeah. trying to make the team. At We're the end about... of the day, our starters, 
We're talking about these back half of the roster linebackers, too. I mean, I'm looking at these fourth and fifth stringers. Clay Johnston last night. I know you were there in person. Man, Clay played a good game last night, and wa- bro. And watching him on TV, field. watching him on TV just now, watch, re-watching the game, like, not only was he active, but when, every time they zoomed in, he was pointing. He was active. He was talking to folks. And, just, yes, and it was like he That's didn't even miss time in the preseason. And think like, about this, Owen. Think about this. In the regular season, you don't see that. You're not going to be able to see that. He doesn't get an opportunity to play. And guess what? If somebody goes down, now he get in the game without no snaps ever. Now we got a liability there, linebacker. So this is what preseason is for, like you said, development. Those guys, like they got to play the whole game so we can see what we're working with. Right, right. That's definitely true, man. And I haven't. We've spent all this time talking. I mean, your brother. We haven't spent much much time on him here. Talk to me about Brian because. Not only has he been probably, I don't want to say the biggest talk of the team because Darnold himself has taken a little bit of that just because of, you know, the narrative of a new quarterback. But if we're looking at the defense, it it starts and ends with Brian Burns. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. tell me something a little bit different about Brian that isn't so mainstream. Like what what makes this dude tick? Uh, Brian's always had a he's always had a, a slight chip on his shoulder because he's always been an underdog. He's always been underappreciated, undervalued, always because he was a smaller guy. They always kind of look past him. And uh, that's one thing that he's always uh, fought hard for and worked hard for to get it. Just get his respect, bro. He just wants his respect. And, and I think this year he's going to make sure he gets his respect this year. This, this year is like a statement year for Brian Burns. Like he, he wants to. I mean, that's why you see helmets popping off. You right. see these guys getting blasted in practice because, bro, he's he's really got his mind made up this year that he's going to get the respect that he deserves. Not he don't want nothing given to him. He wants what he deserves, and I'm I'm behind him one thousand percent. I feel like he's the best defensive end in the game, pound for pound. You got to find me another DN that can do what he can do at his size. Just not it's just not out there, and uh, a lot of people just can't do what he can do at defensive end. So. Humbly speaking, he's the best in, in the game. And this year is going to be – he's going to be a household name. That situation with him in his rookie year, I know it was tough for him because he still showed flashes. I believe he had a fumble recovery for a touchdown fairly early in the season. But he, he was being used in that in that gunner role that didn't necessarily suit him. Was his mindset ever different? Was it, I'm going to adapt because this is what they want for me? Um, or, or was it obvious that he just wasn't as comfortable in that type of role and he just wanted to get to the quarterback? Uh, Brian's a team player, bro. At the end of the day, he, he wanted to take every advantage to, to getting on the field and do what he can do. He's a playmaker. He's a, he's a star in his own right. So you can put him at you can put him anywhere, bro. He's going to make a play. So he's going he's going to give it all he got. So that was his attitude. Now me, I didn't like it at all, you know. But uh, me, me and my brother are different. Uh, he, he, but he's a team player, man. He, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy, man. He'll do whatever you call him to do, and he's gonna do it to the best of his ability. That's what I respect about him. And you know, I think it's such a cool scenario. Not, not only that you guys both played in the league, but played for the same team, got drafted to the same team. From the time that you got drafted, just in the early two thousands, to seeing Brian get drafted from Florida State. I mean, what what were some of the differences, not just in the draft process, but trying to have to acclimate to a new NFL team? Did you see, like, not just differences, but, wow, I, I had no this, – this was not like this in 2005, 2006. Yeah. Yes, it's a huge difference, man. Um, Just even if you want to speak on just social media aspect of it, just 
everything is recorded now. Everything is like personal. Everybody can see your life and what's going on. And that makes things magnified even bigger. And then uh, when we when I played, it was a little old school. You know, I was, it was still back in the day where you had, uh, when I played with Carolina, everybody on the team was in their late 30s. <laughs> you know, right. now you're stepping into the NFL. These dudes are 20, 21 years old. Like, these are young, young kids, man. And it's it's just different, bro. It's so different, bro. Even when I'm walking around stadium and I'm meeting these guys, and I'm like, man, these guys are young kids, but they're so big. And they look like grown men, but they're so young. And, you know, so it's just, I think that's the thing about now, just it's, it's a young man's game now. It's definitely mm. a young man's sport. And like the wow. guys like Tom Brady, those guys are unicorns because you you it, it's, the game is evolving to the young guys, period. 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 The old guys just can't move like these young guys can. These guys are coming bigger, faster, and stronger, bro. Derrick Brown is humongous. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's just like, these guys are babies. Right. It's not just Derrick Brown's humongous. I mean, he's quick as a hiccup, too, for, for how fast yes, he sir. is, man. Right. It's, it's huge, every single bro. year. Every single year we yep. see guys coming out like that. You mentioned playing with with some greats that in their 30s. I mean, your first year with Jake Dale Home and and what, what I mean, not yeah. just Dale Home, but Peppers, Chris Gamble. I mean, having to go up and practice against Jordan Gross and, and Ryan Khalil. Like, yes, what, what was that experience like? Man, bro, it was it was amazing, man. It was it was so hard for me being a seven rounder, bro, to even make the squad, bro. It was, I mean, Chris Jenkins, Al Wallace. I mean, I was loaded, bro. I, I was like, how the hell am I gonna make this team? I just I just didn't see it, but I, I just gave it all I had, man. And I was I was doing my job. I was a hype man back then as well, so I I was a motivator, and uh, I just took advantage of it. every time I got to play. I, I took advantage of it. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, and fortunately, I, I was my career. I was behind Julius Peppers, so it was one of those things where I didn't get to play as much. But I took the I took the experience, man. Yeah, I really took the experience in, and I, I didn't let it go. You know, I, right. I spent my time with Julius Peppers. I took everything that I could take from him to help my game at that time, and then that just ultimately let me pass it on to Brian, man. So it was like, yeah, I maybe didn't play that much, but I gained all the knowledge. Experience that I could, man, in those two, three years that I was there. Right. That's what I was about to say. You mentioned that that it was kind of a curse. Like, man, how the hell am I supposed to, yeah, to beat no, some of these yeah, guys out? Yeah, but I'm thinking at the same time, like, you're exactly what you just said, that it's a blessing. I mean, was there something in particular that you that really stands out to you about Julius Peppers, like a moment watching film or something that you were like, damn, this dude's just different? <laughs> Man, I've been a I've been a Julius Peppers fan since I first laid out on him, laid out on him in North Carolina. It just was something about somebody being that big and athletic. It just drew me to him. And um, when I finally got the chance to meet him, he really didn't talk to me, bro. He didn't he didn't say two words to me, and that's what intrigued me about him. Like somebody that came to me, I forget what player it was, but they was like, "Hey, bro, Julius ain't nobody you could just walk up to and just talk to." And it was like that right. stigma around him. It was an aura around him. It was like, oh, hell no. I, I got to get next to Julius. What do you mean? Like, I got to. So I, I went a whole year, my whole rookie year, bro. I followed him around. I aggravated him. Like, he he, he just wouldn't talk to me for a long time. And then after a while, you know, I earned his respect through practice, through just, just getting better. You know, I, I, I had a heart to get better. And he liked that about me. And after that, we became friends, man. We became, we became close. And he would get a 
a new pair of Jordan cleats and he'll bring them to me and we'll be the only people with the cleats. So it was, it was a special bond that we had. And like I said, man, I tried to take everything that I could from him and, and, and put it in my life and in my game so I could just get a little piece of that greatness. Right. And another thing I, I thought that was really cool about your career, especially trying to, you know, do my prep work for this. And, you know, I, I've gotten to, for anybody listening, you know, I've gotten to talk, fortunately, with Stanley out there at Panthers training camp, a lot about football and watching practices. Mm-hmm. It was really an honor. And I'm glad I got to meet you in person. But, you know, talking about your second year, they draft John Beeson. I mean, what what was that dude like as a rookie? Oh, man. Oh, man. Me and John Beeson from the same uh, uh, neighborhood We from from Florida. So I had always heard about him, and John Beeson was a running back. He, I mean, I know him as a running back and a little bit of a linebacker here now and then, but he was more so a running back. And when he got us, man, and, and I seen what he was doing at UM, I was like, wow. I mean, his first game, this man had 19. I'll never forget. I was there. You know, I seen it with my own two eyes. And 19 tackles, bro, the first game he ever played in the NFL, he had 19 or 20 tackles, something like that. And I was just looking, and I was like, are you serious? I mean, he just, the guy came ready to play, bro. He came NFL ready from day one. I can say that. From day number one, John Beeson came NFL ready, plug-in player immediately. Wow, wow. And, you know, especially immediately. Your, your second year of the league, were you thinking to yourself, like, damn, I just went through this. How How is this dude, you know, flying yes, bro, like this? That's, that's exactly one. what I thought, bro. That's exactly what I thought. I, I couldn't understand. How how can you come in the league and, and pick this up that fast? Like, this, it took me a year to de- develop, bro. Right. I didn't I, I didn't play none of those games. I played the last two games of my career, uh my, my rookie year. They bought me in just to get bigger, faster, and stronger and learn how to play defensive end. That that was my first year. This dude came in starter out the gate <laughs> out the gate, straight from college, bro. Goodness so gracious. It was like wow, man. You know, I, I, I and I had a chance to play with Dan Morgan. So I, I've been with some great linebackers. Thomas Davis as well. I mean, the, oh the man, T. Of course. Oh goodness gracious! I, I'm sure that that's awesome being able to go back and look at your career and say, well, you know what? Not only did I I meet these guys, I you know I've went and fought with these guys, and that, yeah, that that's bro, really awesome to feeling. see. Yeah, beautiful. I want to I want to talk about the offense a little bit with you because I always think it's interesting talking with defensive guys because their their perspective on the offense is always a little bit different because they have to mm-hmm. approach you know their prep work or from years past mm-hmm. whatever the case is differently and. Me and you in person, me, you, and John Ellis got to talk about that offensive line as, as everybody has been this offseason. Have you seen anything in the preseason that gives you a little bit more hope? Because last night, I, I will say, Brady Christensen impressed me at right tackle. There was a there was a couple plays where the Ravens dialed up some extra pressure where, where he missed a couple of assignments, I feel like, going a little mm-hmm. bit too inside instead of picking up the outermost man. So, again, rookie. It's, he's going to have to work mm-hmm. on it, but – the false starts, um, those are those are a big worry for sure, mm-hmm. along with the fact that we're already worried about our, our starting level depth. Are you mm-hmm. concerned or or have you or have your hopes been a little bit better as the preseason has started? Um, to be honest with you, on I'm I'm there, I'm probably at more practices than most. So I actually see to see the development of the O-line. I right. see that they're actually trying to find the chemistry and they they will get there. I'm optimistic that they're going to find the five best guys to put out there week one against the Jets. We, I will say this. We have the talent there. We have the talent with the rookies and the guys that, that we brought in. 
With mm-hmm. it, all we have to do now is just find the right nucleus. The way right. you know where we want to put Taylor, where we want to put Irvin, where we want to put Brady. These are these are key positions, and if you can get the right camaraderie on the right or the left side, that's going to be our dominant side, of course. But you want to at least have a side where we can depend on. So right. that's what we're looking for right now as, as a as an insider. Um, me just watching the game and knowing what they're doing and, and being at practice every day is something where you 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 kind of kind of look for the more uh, chemistry more than anything. It's not like we don't have, we like it's not a time where we have to uh, go crazy and think that we're not going to be able to protect Sam. We can. We just got to put the right nucleus together. Right. And you mentioned that you was there, that you are there, you know, training camp is, is, I think it's over now, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. joints with what the Ravens ended it. And we got one more preseason game, which is just crazy, by the way, football season is snuck up so fast and mm-hmm. I'm excited for sure. But mention being out there practicing and getting the chance to watch these guys. I, I know every day that I've been out there, the offensive line was just, especially when they were in viewing site was kind of where my eyes uh, naturally mm-hmm. drifted. Um, Dennis Daly for me has probably been, I guess if we're going under the radar offensive linemen that have stood out to me, I really like mm-hmm. the way he he handles those A gaps inside a guard. I feel like I feel like the, the B gaps are a little bit more difficult for him, depending on on who his tackle is, whether he's playing mm-hmm. left or left or right guard. But um he's probably Back my under Right, mm-hmm. right, exactly. And he's mm-hmm. probably been my under the radar guy. But if we're looking outside of, you know, the the Irvings and the Elflines and the Millers and Motons, is there someone that you particularly like more than anybody else? Brady. Definitely. Yeah, that makes I've been sense. laying my eyes on Brady, bro. I, I like Brady. He's coachable. He's physical. Um, he has the he has the athletic ability to kick out on that on that on that left or right side, I believe, with the right coaching with the right time, with development, throw him out there again next week. Let's get it, baby. Throw him in there. See what he's made out of. I think he can do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely so there that's with the you. that's the under-the-radar guy that I, I like. I really do. I really think I think that we're not giving him enough just do to somebody to depend on during the year. Because yeah. the guy's not – the guy's good, bro. I've, I've good. heard so that. That's my, under, that's my guy. I've heard that from a lot of people. Um, I'm I'm a big Brady guy too, honestly. I, I've been big on him since they drafted him. I mean, you go back and look at Zach Wilson tape, and I've said this a few mm-hmm. times on this podcast. It's an absolutely impossible to watch any Zach Wilson high-level tape and not notice Brady Christensen at the same time over there at left right. tackle for BYU. So mm-hmm. he, he's a big-time player. Say what you want about BYU and their competition, but – this right. guy has come in, and from everything I've heard and seen, he's done everything they've asked them to do. He's a super hard worker and willing to adapt. I mean, to go from playing blindside tackle your entire college career to now moving between left guard and right tackle, trying to flip things and also move inside at the same time. I mean, that's that's not easy to do. At all. That's just like imagining doing doing your job your whole life, and then here comes the boss telling you to do something totally different you've never done before, and then expecting you to do it at a high level. So right. it's a lot of times we get lost in that. And then you got to remember, like you said earlier, development. That's all it is. Every game is, is he gets it's better. He gets better. He get, the game slows down a little bit. You know, the, the, the nervousness goes away a little bit and you're able to kind of calm down and pick it up. And um, I just think that he's in a he's in a great position because he wants to learn. He wants to get better. Uh, he's, he's hungry and he's willing to do whatever he got to do to get on the field. And that's what you want. That's the that's that's the ingredients you want for a player. 
whether he's good already or he's going to end up being good. Because a lot of a lot of guys don't come in awesome, but they end up with a with a beautiful career. So right. got to look at it for what it is. Yeah, and I mean, you, exactly what you just said, man. Talking about it's hard to come in. Look at I wish I could could find some kind of percentage number to back me up here. Um, I didn't do that high level of prep for for the interview right about about rookies that come in and contribute. I guess usage might be the good stat to get here, but I'm also kind of thinking NBA <laughs> in terms of usage. But regardless, you know, talking about rookies, it takes more than one year, right? I mean, I, I like to this is a good way to put it in the simplest terms. Like Jeremy Chin is the exception, not not the rule. You know there what you I mean? Go. Um, that's that's the best way to put it and the offense in general you have to be happy about where they are and and if we're just talking about team you go across every position group the only one that I as someone who you know in depth tries to follow this team can look at and still be uh don't know how that's going to turn out is the offensive line and it's been Mm -hmm. like that for months Mm -hmm. so if we're if we're having some kind of optimism about their ability to gel and and work together well um, you have to feel good about that for for Sam Darnold mm-hmm. because the wide sure. receivers who I was going to move to next have been borderline elite. I mean, there, there's been a couple drops, but Shy Smith was he was super impressive last night, man. I'm, oh, I'm not sure, it. dude. I'm not sure if you saw what I tweeted last night um, mm-hmm. after I think it was just a, the first little Will Greer catch he had a little out route to the left on that. Uh, I think he was playing the Z receiver. I can't really remember, but. Um, I remember watching, I was like, look, I've been high on this guy since South Carolina. There was a play, um, a game I was at when they were playing Alabama at Williams-Brice Stadium. Ryan mm-hmm. Halinski was their quarterback at the time. We, mind you, this dude is a, a bench quarterback at Northwestern now. Like, he was a pretty wow. on average mm-hmm. quarterback. They were playing against Alabama at South Carolina. Halinski dotted a almost triple coverage ball to Shy Smith. Dude went up and got it, high pointed it through. I mean, this is Alabama. We're talking about in the end zone. Like right. yeah. one of the one of the most impressive college catches I've seen in, in the past couple of years that kind of goes under the radar. I knew he was gonna be a gem the moment I saw that. I love Shy, mm-hmm. but tell me what you think about Terrace Marshall. I haven't talked about him enough, and he's been the talk of camp, really. Man, that's our possession receiver, bro. Period. That I mean he's big, fast, and he's gonna catch that ball. He's going to get it at his highest point, just like you said about shot. Look, those two guys, I'm the highest on. I may be a little bit more high on shot just because of his size. You know, I love him being a smaller guy, but he reminds mm-hmm. me of Steve Smith. I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to go there. Comparison. I wanted to go there a couple times. I'm going there, bro. Yet. I'm not scared to go there. I said, reminds me of. That's so everybody relax. He reminds me of Steve Smith. I played with Steve Smith. I know exactly what I'm talking about, bro. This man is, whenever you got a a, a smaller guy, bro, that's not afraid to attack that ball at his highest point, I don't give a damn if it's two people or one person guarding him. Bro, you got something special with that. This man can go in our slot and test somebody up. And that's what I love. And then looking at T. Marshall, man, come on, bro. That's that's (laughs) our... That's our possession receiver. That's our Julio. That's our Michael Irvin, whatever you want to call it. That's our big dog receiver that's going to go up and get balls in the end zone in our red zone. I believe he's going to step up into a big boy role early in the red zone. I see him as a red zone target immediately for our team, even though he's young. The way he's adjusting and catching his ball all preseason, all during camp, he's proven to me that he's ready for the big leagues and 
He's ready to be that possession receiver that we need on the third down. Definitely with you. Know, or in the red zone. Right. I mean, sticking with that. Possession receiver, baby. Haven't haven't we had one that. in a while. Haven't in had while. one in a while. I mean, talking about the, the red zone before. because I, I played I with Keyshawn Johnson, and I, I played with Moose Muhammad. These are possession receivers, bro. These are guys that you throw the ball to, and you, and, and, and you throw it up there, and nine times out of ten, they're coming down with it. Right, and I was just about to bring this stat up before I, I want to ask you about Robbie Anderson, but we're talking about that red zone. Throughout the preseason, man, one of six in the red zone, 16.7% is, is the exact number. I mean, is that is that Joe Brady, or is that, you know, again, this is preseason and, and we're just kind of running base plays? That's that's preseason. Everything is vanilla. Um, you're not going to get a whole bunch of extravagant play, play calling right now because the games don't matter. Uh, right. right now, what matters is man on man, who got the heart to make this team or not? Who got the heart to go 10 plays straight and still give me everything you got without tapping out? That's what preseason is all about, baby. It's making or breaking you. Can you make this team? Are you man enough to be on this team with us? Can we trust you to go to battle when it's time to go to battle for 17 weeks? I was, and I, I wasn't really thinking about asking you this one. I know back in the day, I mean, uh, I've heard a lot of former former NFL vets call some of these training camp practices these guys are doing now a little, little soft. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it's not it's not the two a day type thing it was back then. I mean, were were injuries like how bad was that situation? I mean, were two a days? Was it obvious like okay, we probably shouldn't be doing this anymore? Do you feel like it really helped you, especially as a younger player? Uh yeah, for for the time being back then, yeah, it was it was it was what it was. That was natural. That's what everybody was used to. Uh, two days, banging it out. You might break a finger or two, and you got to go out there and play. You might get a little concussion here or there, but you got to get on out there. That's what it was. You know, everybody, that's what we signed up for. But as, as it progressed, a uh, great job by the NFL by uh, just trying to create more safety and longevity for these players. And, and I, I can't do nothing but be happy for that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's way softer and way easier now. Right. I wish I could play now. But at the end of the day, man, you got to look out for these guys' safety. And me being a retired player and going through what I go through on a daily basis with my body, on a daily basis with my body, you know, I'm thankful that they are doing that for my brother as well, and for everybody else that's out there uh, putting their life on the line every time they step on that field. So you know, you got to try to create that safety, and that's what they've been doing. So making things, cutting back a lot on the tour days, and cutting back on a lot of being out there in that heat and stuff like that is I think it's going to be a long-term jeopardy thing for, for the NFL to just keep us going. You know, you don't want to, you don't want players checking out because they, they're getting concussions every right. five minutes. Like you, we had a lot of young guys retire, bro. And that, that NFL take hits when that happens. So yeah. to make it more safe is, 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 is in their best interest. I mean, look at Luke Keekley. We're talking about the Panthers. I mean, he, he's an older example for sure. Yeah. But to, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm still. I, I feel like I don't want to say daily, but every time I go and look at the Panthers roster, I just still think like, damn, if Luke Keekley was on this team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think everybody do that, bro. I think we all miss him, bro. We definitely miss him. He was he was a young goat. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I don't know no other way. To no play. other way to describe him. I don't know no other way to say it. So he's the best middle linebacker I ever seen play the position position and um but the thing about middle linebacker man like I said back in those times when Luke just got in the game you know 
banging was the thing. You know, you got to put that helmet on somebody and really, come on, bro. I don't know no other way around. That's, hey, that's you what got, he did at Boston College. That's why that's he got what drafted. He did. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you got to just love the warrior in him, man. He put yeah. it on. The, he put it on the line, and yeah. he gave us everything he he felt like he could. Yeah. And as a man, I respect it for walking away on your own terms. You know. Yeah, especially. I mean. It's been a little painful to see him with the Bills. That's that's a whole different convo. We ain't got to get into that too much. Yeah, a whole different you, convo. Right. I do want to ask you this one real quickly while we're still talking about training camp. How do you feel about the DBO sign, the don't beat ourselves sign that Matt Rule has up everybody for everywhere on the on the field for players to run laps, for those who don't know if you're listening? I like it. I like it. It's a mentality, bro. And, you, and, and, and when a young quarterback, I mean, a young head coach comes in the game, you got to create that mentality. You have to create an atmosphere. You have to get these guys to follow. These are grown mm-hmm. men that are making millions of dollars, bro. Think about that. Think about trying to be a young coach over guys that's making more money than you. Some of them, you know. Yeah, so it's 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 all about how you connect. That's what it's about. It's not about yelling at them at this at this at this age in the game. It's not about uh doing small stuff to get your point across. It's about setting the tone and making it a lifestyle around them. And that's the best quote to have. I mean, don't beat yourself. That's that's in life. Don't, yeah. don't beat yourself. Get out your own way. It's 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 great qualities, man. And it's just nothing, nothing wrong with that. And I think I, I like it. And I like the short version, Debo. So it it, 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 it goes for me. <laughs> I will I will say I know for a fact that that Cam Irvin really hates that sign by now. I, I know he's not. A- <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not a fan of that DBO side, but I've been beating around the bush to get to get to this question for a minute because I had so many other questions. But Robbie Anderson got announced the other day. We were talking about the wide receivers and you know the depth that has been there in camp has been impressive to say the least. Not just Moore, Anderson, Marshall, Smith, like David Moore, not the offensive line, David Moore that got cut just a few weeks ago, you know, Omar Bayless, mm-hmm. EJ Saunders, Brandon Zilstra, Keith Kirkwood, like yeah. They, it's it's really incredible, especially after losing Curtis Samuel. We were thinking, I mean, he was going to be the slot yeah, receiver, and yeah. now they don't even know who they're going to keep on the roster. Facts. And you know, Facts. Does, it's, it's to, easily the biggest, the biggest, the most uh, lit position on our team. I have to say that. I mean, somebody going to go somewhere and make that that team a hell of a team. I mean, you, we got to. Do we gonna you have to agree accept- with? the Robbie Anderson extension talk because that one kind of threw me yeah. for a loop the other day when it came out. I agree with it. Uh, was I surprised? Yes. Um, I agree with it. Yes. I was surprised. Yes. I would have went DJ Moore personally. Personally. Right. I love Robbie Anderson. I, I love him, but DJ Moore deserves to be took care of now. So yeah, that's, that's and see I that feel. That was why it surprised me the most, not because, and I want to make that clear, like you just said, not because Robbie hasn't deserved it, right? I mean, right. Robbie, for me in the offseason, he was good enough to where I was like, look, I just don't think they're going to have the money to extend him, not because mm-hmm. they don't want to, but because, like you said, they have DJ coming up, not just DJ. You got to look at the defense. Uh, Brian mm-hmm. Burns, surely yeah. enough, that, that's coming soon. <laughs> He's sniffing around. He's sniffing right. around. Yeah. Right, and DJ, I mean – I thought it made the most sense, not just because he's the younger of the two. And to be quite honest, I think a little bit better, especially this year. If he takes a step up, I, I think it'll be clear who's better between the two. But with the with the camp rise of Marshall Jr. and and, and Shy Smith, even I, I just thought they'd try and run this year with Anderson, maybe trade him if they didn't if they didn't want to have to extend him. But 
to see them going for extension talks is, is a little bit surprising, honestly. It is. So, so let me let me give you let me tell you. Well, this is my opinion why why they're doing that. You got to remember, bro. Speed is one thing in the NFL that's that's probably the most sought after thing. Yep. That's, I that's mean, it. if you can get somebody with that type of speed, bro, you don't normally let them go, bro. That's that's just how it is, bro. Let's let's look at Spider Burns for instance. He's the fastest to the quarterback in the NFL. That's the guy oh you don't let go. You, it's just it doesn't make sense. You know, you can have anybody else you can have, but the speed is what I, I believe that Carolina really values. And nobody, I mean, Robbie Anderson is fast, boy. He is a fat. If you never, guys, fans of this podcast, if you never seen this man running in person. <laughs> You need to drive a car to keep up with him, bro. He is fast. He is fast, and oh that's why gosh. he's getting. That's why he's getting his extension talks over the, uh, DJ Moore right now. Pure speed. If you want to talk about better receivers, that is definitely debatable between uh-huh. the two. But it if don't. you want to compare speed, right. it ain't close. That's what see. That's what I was about to say. I mean, speed is the only, in my in my opinion, after last year, the only thing that he has over him. But I, I will say to Robbie. His balance, um, as good as DJ Moore is running after the catch, Robbie's balance is borderline in, incredible, dude. I mean, and the his crispness, route running, bro. His route that's what running I was about to say impeccable. with that route running. It's impeccable. Yeah. He, this guy did, did not pick up a 1,000 yards last year just running deep routes. That no, no, no. His, Said he his couldn't route. push the ball down on some nine routes. He had right. to get it in the intermediate. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's a, he is a great receiver. Just like DJ Moore, you can't take none away. It's a hard job for Scott. It's hard. That's, that's not an easy job for anybody. Any fan think they want to sit in that seat and make that decision, go ahead. But it's not an easy job, man. You got to really, you know. Right. Especially you when you're on the inside. Especially when you're on the inside, you – you know these, you know these dudes' families. Like you know yeah. how hard they've been working and yeah. seeing the work they put in. A lot and that, to go into that, man. Man, wow! Just a lot, bro. Speed kills. Plain and simple. It's an old saying in football. That's, and it's I mean, still true. bro. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Look at the combine. What is it about? The forty. That's the only thing. Look, if you didn't know about the NFL and you were like, oh, "I'm going to tune into the NFL draft, NFL draft combine," excuse me, huh? Why are they talking about 40 times so much? I mean, there's a reason why. There's always a reason why. The guy that wins the – to the contract extension. That's it. That's it. That's a good way to end it. A good way to end yes, it, Mr. <laughs> McClover. I, I will say thank you for your time. I'd love to have you back on again for sure, man. Anytime, Especially, bro. Anytime. We'll have to we'll have to get out there and see you. I will I will say before we go, I, I want to talk about a little bit about the Roaring Riot, just so you know, maybe for anybody listening to this that, that wants to get in on one sleeve nation. I haven't even been able to bring that up yet. Talk a little bit to me about that, you know, the idea behind it and the tailgating stuff that you're planning on doing uh when the season starts. So uh, one sleeve nation is a company I started, basically athlete management and marketing. And what we do is we just try to pour into these athletes as mentors and as guiders. And try to and try to help them uh, make their career last, post career mostly. Um, we want you to get in the NFL or whatever sport that you're in. You know, really take care of your business and financially. Take care of your business in, in, with your schooling, education, and um, uh, most importantly, giving you a way out when it's over. You know, giving you a transition. Uh, that was one of the biggest things in my life. Uh, I had no transition when the football was over for me. I was lost, and um, I needed I needed people who can understand what I was going through, not just 
you know, regular people. I needed people that actually right. been through exactly what I've been through so I can I can uh, get stronger in my process. So being that I didn't have that, and it took me a long time to get out of depression and all that kind of stuff, I came up with this, this company for one, because I was already doing that for my brother, uh, guiding him and mentoring him, and just being there for him and believing in him, um, and, just, and just being there every step of the way. And I wanted to create that as a job for other guys like me as well, other retired players that having a hard time transitioning from football to regular life, I right. think uh, this gives you the opportunity to stay in the game. It, it really does. Uh, being with my brother, bro, I'm, I'm still in the game. As you can see, I'm at the games every every week, hyping the crowd up. I'm, I'm on the field with him, taking pictures and just loving every moment of it. And I would love for another person to experience that as well that's been through what I've been through. So that's where One Sleep Nation comes from. And it's, it's been a beautiful thing for me. And um, here we got the uh, tailgate with Lucha series starting up game one against the uh, New York Jets. We'll be right at Hot Fly Brewery on Mint Street. Uh, if you're not following me, my uh, IG is s.mcclover, M-C-C-L-O-V-E-R. On Instagram, follow me and get all the updates. I'm on Twitter as well. Same thing. Uh, Y'all just go follow me and look for, look for the updates. And I'll come pull up to the tailgate. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be doing giveaways, giving away jerseys, pictures. Panther stuff. I mean, just giving everything away. So come out and get it and have fun. And we're gonna be try. We're gonna try to be hype as we can this year for our team and give them all the energy that we can give them, so we can get in these playoffs. Absolutely. Haven't been in the playoffs. Yeah. Haven't had a winning season yet since David Temple in a while, took over. Bro. It's yeah. That's what I was about in to say. While, I mean, bro, we deserve it. Years go by quick, but when you go back and look at the, you're like, damn, we we haven't a winning season yeah. in four years. In wow. it's, it's time. It's absolutely time. Yeah, you're right. Time. I want to say thank you, Stanley. Like I said, love to have no you problem, on again. Mark. Wish you a blessed rest of your day, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Great job, brother.